Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian. This podcast version of our interview is brought to you by L3 Technologies. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian here at the European Union's annual conference in Washington, D.C. to discuss alliance security issues. And we're honored to have with us uh, Pedro Serrano, uh, who is one of uh, Spain's top diplomats, who's serving uh, in a senior EU uh, job. Sir, I have to say you've got one of the best uh, jobs, the External Action Service. You're also the deputy head of the Common Security and uh, Defense Policy, CSDP. Uh, and um, uh, you were just on a panel discussion with uh, uh, the Pentagon's uh, Todd Harvey. It was a great conversation, a lot of common ground between the United States uh, and the EU, obviously a very close uh, alliance still, but there are uh, tensions. Uh, ambassador David O'Sullivan, the EU ambassador to the United States, joked that, uh, you know, I don't want to start off with steel and aluminum tariffs, uh, but unfortunately I have, to, I have to start there. There is a concern that folks have that given the nature of the trade uh, challenges facing the alliance, um, that this will spill over to security. From your standpoint, as one of the senior most uh, folks in, in, in the European Union, um, when it comes to this issue, is there a concern and how does the alliance avoid the contamination of trade on security if that's possible? We don't see um, a risk of, of this type. We have mechanisms uh, to discuss uh, trade and other issues with our partners and certainly with the United States and we have to, and it's normal that there may be disagreements and well, they can be expressed in very many different ways. Um, but we have mechanisms to handle this and it should not affect other parts of the relationship. We have a very broad relationship uh, with the United States for, for, I would say for centuries. Uh, not the European Union, of course, but certainly Europe. And, and this is one of the most important uh, relationships that we have also in the field of security and defense. And, and uh, therefore we, we continue, we look forward to continuing to strengthening it actually. And part of what I hope to achieve during my meetings here in uh, Washington these days is to see how we can further progress in this relationship. Um, while everybody is looking at the top line and, and the aftermath of the G7, for example, and, and the prospects of uh, tit-for-tat uh, trade, trade war, at a working level, how would you characterize um, the working level relationship uh, on a transatlantic basis? Again, I refer to the area for which I'm responsible, which is secure and defense. And here I think there is, as you saw in the panel today, a lot of common ground and much understanding and appreciation, I think, for certainly on our side for what the U.S. does and, and I think on the U.S. side for what the European Union does. And we have been doing many things in the last years and we want to explain those things. We believe that we are, um, uh, as a European Union, more capable in terms of security and defense than we were two years ago. And we intend to continue advancing in that uh, direction and therefore we hope that uh, this will also be reflected in our relations on security and defense with the United States. Um, do you, um, there is a sense that the transatlantic challenges will be an impetus to bring European nations closer together in terms of this uh, goal we were talking about a little bit earlier, you know, for as long as I can remember I've been uh, talking or thinking or writing about the common security and, and, and defense policy. Is there a sense that there's going to be a greater coalescing uh, of, of, of European nations around a more common uh, security policy? Well, European uh, member states, European Union member states have been coalescing around secure defense policy already very strongly in the last years. process started actually uh, in, after the Balkan War, Balkan uh, Wars in, in, at the end of the 90s and, and started in 2000. And I think the, uh, um, uh, certainly the uh, invasion of uh, Ukraine, um, the um, um, development of uh, hybrid tactics, the uh, explosion of a new brand of uh, terrorism 
have made our member states understand that they have to um, develop more capabilities on, on security and defense and they have to work more in this field together with their partners and this is what we have been doing uh, during the last uh, years and nothing has happened that will change that. There is a, a true internal uh, perception within the European Union that we need to do more for ourselves and to be capable of doing it. And we are active in a number of theatres, um, let's say on our own in a way, um, essentially in, in Africa, also in the uh, Mediterranean uh, and, uh, and off the coast of, uh, uh, of Somalia. Well, on our own, not totally true because we, we are always keen to work with partners and because whatever one does, you do need partners, um, be it uh, local partners or, or international partners with whom to carry out complex actions. The advantage of the European Union is that we have a very broad toolbox as well. Uh, that allows us really not only to deploy um, defense uh, instruments, properly speaking, but many issues that contribute to security and defense of our interests that are not strictly speaking uh, security and defense. This can be development instruments, humanitarian governance um, instruments, and we can combine all this in a coherent manner. And I think that's, um, but we do need real defense capabilities, and that has been the emphasis in the last couple of years. Um, the last two years uh, have been a dramatic time, a lot of coordination between NATO, uh, landmark agreement July uh, 2016, uh, between the uh, uh, North Atlantic Alliance and the EU in terms of how to coordinate um, uh, defense investment, uh, defense thinking from an EU standpoint as well as from a NATO standpoint to avoid duplication, which has been a message that you've delivered repeatedly, uh, but the entire uh, EU leadership as well as the NATO leadership has, has uh, delivered. From, from your standpoint, give us an update on where all of those proposals are, because there are something like seven proposals common. You, you had a new sheet of uh, measures that were commonly adopted. Bring us up to speed on where that um, effort lies to avoid duplication, because as you know, there are a lot of Americans who say, you know, EU should not replicate NATO. Some of that is seen as a replication, and then, you know, EU should focus more on internal security, cyber, and those sorts of issues. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think there's a duplication in what we're doing. We are active in theaters where NATO is not active, and carrying out operations of crisis management type, you know, what we would envisage right now uh, is uh, operations of a battle group type that NATO is not really um, uh, carrying out. Um, and, and therefore, there is no uh, duplication in, in the theaters where we're operating. And, and we can, again, bring to the theaters um, a, a range of instruments together with defense instruments that NATO cannot bring and will not bring. And then there are also actors, depending on where you're active, you may want to go through one channel or the other. And here again, the European Union has uh, entries and, and possibilities of interaction with a number of partners that, that provide an added value in what it is doing. But I don't see any duplication. With our crisis management structures are, again, geared for the type of operations that we do, training missions, but also some maritime uh, missions, which we have and, and which we co coordinate and cooperate with NATO as well. Um, so, I, I, yes, I hear about duplication, I hear about the fears of duplication, but I don't see anything that we've done that is duplicating. And what we have done, we have done it also for the interest of the European Union, and whatever is in the interest of the European Union, we will also continue doing. Um, do you think that there is, um, with the um, dissolution of the Iran nuclear agreement, that was something that was um, a shining achievement, at least seen from a European standpoint, uh, certainly from an EU standpoint, Federico Mogherini playing a critical role shoulder to shoulder with the U.S. Secretary of State and other world leaders to craft this uh, multi-party um, agreement. Um, what's the way forward on this? 
given that that was something that was seen as such an important achievement from a European perspective and the latest of a series of setbacks on a transatlantic basis in terms of what would be considered sort of core EU interests, but also now the interests of a new American administration. Well, you've heard all our leadership um, express themselves on, on the GCPOA. And I think uh, we continue believing it is a vital um, agreement uh, that will deliver um, greater security and nothing has happened that will make us change uh, that uh, position. And, and therefore, there's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not directly responsible for this uh, file. I'm sorry to say this on camera. Uh, but, uh, but therefore, uh, yes, there are uh, discussions ongoing. And, and we do hope that it will remain as, as a piece uh, that brings greater stability to the Middle East uh, because uh, it is quite irreplaceable. And let me give you one last question. Um, from a threats uh, perspective, obviously everybody understands the challenge with Russia. Uh, but increasingly, you're, when I visit Europe and talk to senior European officials, there is a concern about China and China's levels of investment and the role that it plays in European security. Talk to us a little bit about sort of the common thinking that's going into uh, thinking about China as you know, an important economic partner, but also a potential security challenge. China is a key partner of the European Union in many fields and we work together with uh, China. Of course, there are areas uh, where we uh, don't uh, agree fully, but this is uh, normal also um, between uh, partners. And, um, and we will continue discussing uh, those uh, matters with, uh, with China. And uh, we believe that um, we can reach uh, uh, good understandings and we have reached good understandings and a good relationship with, with China. I think um, China is a reality. It's one of the most important world powers. And, um, and it is important that we have a, a good and healthy relationship with them. Um, is there any concern for you, one last question, that the departure of uh, the UK from the EU, Brexit is going, even though I think it's going to be a protracted process as we agree with a holding period in between there. But there are those who support a strong EU but are concerned for the future of the EU. If you look at some of the challenges posed by EU members, Hungary and Poland, uh, there are tensions with the EU. You have a new Italian government that's taking a slightly different approach, uh, perhaps slightly more confrontational with, with Brussels. Are you concerned at all? that the influence of the EU is flagging? And what are some of the measures you're taking to make the case to skeptical European populations about the fundamental importance of this organization that was created from the ashes of World War II to, as Ambassador Sullivan so cleverly and rightly always says, deals with uh, the fact that Europe tends to produce more nationalism than it can consume? Well. Um, the reality is that there's no alternative, I think, for any of the uh, member states of the European Union, any reasonable alternative outside the European uh, Union. Uh, the European Union has brought wealth, has brought security, um, and, has, and provides a keel, uh, even in troubled times, for, the, uh, for all its member states and, and direction in terms of the ideals that we represent, but also in terms of the security that it offers to all its members. And I think that remains. There may be positionings, and, and we have to listen, obviously, to uh, criticisms, understand what are the problems. We're trying to address most of the challenges that, that have led to waves of populism are being very effectively addressed through the European Union, I'm talking about migration, I'm talking about um, 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 counterterrorism, and could not be addressed outside the European Union. And that's why, actually, uh, in, in the Brexit, um, the UK is very keen to maintain links um, with all the mechanisms that exist, Europol, Frontex, um, um, Eurojust, 
that help member states uh, confront common challenges and wants to continue co co contributing also to secure and defense policy and even uh, to development efforts. Because doing this together makes more sense than just each one of us uh, in an atomized manner. So um, I, I believe that the answer continues to lie within the European Union. We have to explain this. It has to be understood um, in the different countries and, and we have to deliver results. And, and many of the problems that we're facing are deep structural problems. They will not disappear uh, quickly, but we are building um, mechanisms that are helping us cope with them and addressing long-term issues as well. And this we can only do really effectively if we do it jointly. And the, the biggest security, the top three security challenges you think Europe faces, what are, what are the top three that the EU and the EU nations face? Well, the ones that are all the time being uh, indicated is obviously the fight against uh, terrorism. It's a fight against organized crime as well. And in reality, it's uh, the uh, destabilization of nations close to the European Union that can then through terrorism, through organized crime, also affect security within the European Union. But the, the fragile nations and nations that are changing and that are evolving um, is something that we need to uh, address seriously to help, in the first place, the countries that are suffering and the societies and, and population that are suffering those conditions, but then ultimately also for our own security. Sir. Pedro Serrano of the European Union. Sir, thanks very much. It was Your a pleasure. pleasure. I only wish we had some more time. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you.